you're new to church, you may be thinking, what were some of those words in that song that we just, hitherto? When was the last time you said hitherto? But for some of us, singing those songs that are, I don't even know how old that song is, hundreds maybe of years old. There's deep truths that although the language may change a bit, express such profound truths. I remember even being young and singing that line, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love, and then declaring, take our hearts, take and seal them, seal them for thy courts above, this idea that we can't do this life on our own. And we weren't meant to. And that's why the grace of God leads us, stays with us, perseveres through the ups and the downs of life. Again, I want to welcome you here today. If you are typically a Saturday night crowd, any Saturday night crowd people here that are with us, thank you for being here. If you don't know this, we had a a grid shutdown of electricity all around here. And fortunately, we uh, canceled the services ahead of time or we would have been sitting in the dark together because it was dark longer than we thought it would be dark around here. So um, thank you for making that adjustment this week and welcome to Sunday morning. This is the Sunday morning crowd. You guys can say hi to each other afterwards if you want to. So last week we kicked off this series, Who Is This Man? And we talked about this idea of the the authority of Jesus, the way that he taught, but not just the words and the things he said, the very power with which he spoke and his words brought meaning and transformation. Caused people very often to stop and say, Who is this guy? What is going on here? They were amazed often at the authority by which he spoke. We talked last week about the idea of Jesus went to a spiritually oppressed man and in a moment changed his life forever. He delivered him. Jesus had a paralyzed man brought to him. And Jesus said to him, Young man, get up. Take your mat and go home. Puzzled everyone, and Jesus said, the reason I did that was to demonstrate to you, yes, I have power over those kind of things, but I have ultimate power. I have the authority to forgive, the authority to set you free. And Jesus said, I did that so you would know that when I say your sins are forgiven, that I really can do it because I can also heal the lame, set free the spiritually oppressed, bring sight to the blind, and hearing to deaf ears. And Jesus said, that's, was demonstrating, that's the kind of authority that I have. And we talked a little bit about how this movement that Jesus started has impacted our world ever since. That the world as we know it would not be the same had Jesus not came on the scene. We know that from just the way that we care for people. Ministries like Salvation Army, Red Cross. Where did they get the idea for a cross, for salvation in their names? Institutions like hospitals, many of which were started in response to this Jesus movement to care for those who desperately needed it. Institutions throughout this world of education like Cambridge and Oxford, like Harvard and Princeton and Yale that were started, that were founded with the very cause of educating people to know God's truths. Our world has forever been changed. And today we're going to look at an aspect of Jesus that is, it's found in every story about Jesus throughout Scripture. It's in every passage that we read about him, and it's simply this. It's the way that he cares. The way that he cares for people. You don't have to raise your hand on this one, but, but in the last week, have you said out loud or thought in your head about yourself, does anyone even care? I mean, maybe you're watching TV and you're watching ESPN and you're upset because the Lakers are just doing horrible and you would think, does anybody else really even care? Like, I feel all alone in my mourning for the Lakers. 
Or maybe you went to Starbucks and you saw that pumpkin spice latte is no longer up there and you're like, does nobody care? The baristas aren't giving you any compassion. And you're like, I don't understand. I feel all alone in the world. Okay, maybe not, but you, you get the point. That sometimes we go through life and we're just not quite sure if anybody cares. I, I decided about three years ago, if I were to ever write a book, which I probably won't, so I'm not getting my hopes up on that, but if, let's just say hypothetically, I decided to write a book, I would name the title of the book, Who Cares? And it would have multi-purposes. It would be on, on one level. Sometimes we go through life and we're like, who cares? Like, we sweat the small things and we need to lighten up. Another meaning is when we go through hard times, and some of you know what going through hard times is like. We know as a family, what going through hard times is like. And sometimes you really ask the question, does anybody else really care? I've been journeying this journey for a while, and it feels like those people who cared so much, do they really care anymore? And sometimes you're not quite so sure if they do. But the ultimate meaning of my book, hypothetically, if I were to ever write it, would to be to say, who cares? Christ cares. Christ cares. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning, that he really does care about us. Sometimes the challenge of being married feels too hard to even continue. You're ready to throw in the towel. And you may be tempted to say, who cares? Christ cares. Maybe the worry of, over a child is breaking your heart. Christ cares. Maybe the stress of work just feels like it's breaking your back. And you just feel all alone like nobody cares. Christ cares. Let me assure you, he cares. Sometimes loneliness in your life is almost unbearable and you feel isolated. Christ cares. Sometimes even the success, the good days of life, still leave you feeling empty. Christ cares. If you have your Bible, turn to Mark chapter 6. As, as we've been talking, um, this Who Is This Man series, we're asking you to write, read a book. Not write a book, that would be a great challenge. Read the book, Who Is This Man? We're asking you to join a class, but also we're journeying through Mark. So if you are on this journey through Mark with us, this week we're going to read chapters 4, 5, and 6. And I want to give a little bit of an overview just through a couple of passages through Mark. But I want us to land real quick on chapter 6, verse 34. I want you to understand what's going on, that, that Jesus in Mark throughout the, the book is going from place to place. It's a book of action. He's doing a lot of things. And in Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 30, he and the apostles, they gather together. Evidently, they hop in a boat. They're going away to get some rest because they've been busy doing ministry. And they go to a solitary place, but the people find Jesus. They're looking for him. They're wanting him to do more miracles. They find him. And in verse 34, it says, when Jesus landed, the boat landed, and saw a large crowd. People are everywhere. He had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began to teach them many Things. It says he had compassion on them. And this word for compassion, it's, it's a very unique word, very unique to the Gospels itself. It's almost as if one scholar said that the, the writers of the Gospels looked around in all of their language and they couldn't find a word to quite say what they wanted to say. They couldn't find a word to describe the compassion and the care of Jesus. So it's almost like they invented a word. Wikipedia the next year had to insert this word into the dictionary. Webster's was like, okay, I guess we need to include that word. This word for compassion, one scholar said, 
was coined by the evangelists themselves. They did not find in the whole Greek language a word that suited their purposes, so they made one up. It's expressive of the deepest emotion, the striving of the bowels, literally, a yearning of the innermost nature with pity. Our equivalence would be, it's breaking my heart. I, I feel sick, the pain hurts so much. That kind of care, that kind of compassion. We see it all throughout Mark's story as, we, as we've read and we've talked about. We see it towards Mark himself, like we said last week. Mark's a quitter. Mark had abandoned the apostle Paul and Barnabas and went and done his own thing. And we know Jesus said, I'm giving you a second chance. We saw it in the story of Matthew, who wrote the other Matthew, the gospel, but he's known in the story we looked at last week as Levi. He's a tax collector, the worst of the worst sinners. But we know that Jesus came to him and said, come follow me. We see it in sick people all throughout. You have to understand, culturally in this day and age, sick people were outcasts. Sick people were separated. Yet Jesus went to the sick, and he put his hands on them, and he healed them. He brought them near. He hung out with them. He inspired Christians to do the exact same thing. We know that some of the account of how the church grew early after Jesus was resurrected and left this earth, part of the reason it grew so quickly is plagues came all throughout the known area. And plagues would come into a city and people would run for dear life so they wouldn't catch that and get sick. For some reason, these strange Christians began to enter into the cities where people were suffering for sickness, at risk to their own life. And they began to nurse men and women and children back to health. They would have died otherwise, but because of the care of Christians, they were saved. And Dionysus, a bishop from the third century, said, Heedless of the danger, these early Christians took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ. We know that Jesus showed compassion to women. Again, in that culture, women were second-class citizens. But Jesus invited women in. Jesus, after the resurrection, you remember the story, the two women, Mary Magdalene? They're the first ones commissioned with, go tell that I've been raised from the dead. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote that Jesus gave women human dignity. Prior to Jesus, women were regarded as inferior beings, religiously speaking. Jesus gave dignity to children. He cared like none other for children. Again, in that society, babies weren't even named until their eighth day. But you see, Jesus in circumstances where children are coming to him and the disciples are like, get away, get away, don't bother him. And Jesus says, no, 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 let the little children come to me. Compassionate and caring. And he revolutionized the way that humanity was viewed. The way that Jesus treated the disabled among them was unlike anyone who had ever come before him. He spoke dignity. He cared. He reached out to those who desperately needed him, even physically, and showed them that they have dignity and that we should care for them. definition of compassion was given by Jesus in a new and a fresh way. In the book, if you're reading it, John Ortberg said, Jesus is not a highly sensitive, compassionate person. He is a highly irritated, compassionate person. Jesus' crankiness and his compassion come from the same source. His outrageous love for every individual and his pain when anyone is undervalued. That he cared and his compassion 
causes us to care in that story that that I just read you. When Jesus saw the crowds in Mark chapter 6, and it says he was moved with compassion. His heart was breaking because they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were harassed and they were helpless. The disciples said this to Jesus. They said, hey, Jesus, send them away that they go get something to eat. Do you remember this story? What did Jesus say? He said, don't send them away. You feed them. He said, don't send them away. It's not somebody else's responsibility. You're my disciples. You feed them. And then that's when they look at themselves and they think, there's 5,000 just men in the crowd. And we have five fish and two loaves. We've got a problem, Jesus. But Jesus says, it's not something that we can pawn off. It's, I'm modeling this compassion and this care. I want you to get my heart. And I want you to get your hands dirty as well. I want you to make a difference. So now go back a couple of chapters with me to Mark chapter 4. And what we're going to look at today, is there any way we can get that light right there, Dim? That just blinded me all of a sudden. Um, Thank you very much. So what we're going to see is that for the poor and the needy, for the ones who are facing injustice, for the least of these, Jesus continually says, care. Care for them. Meet those needs. In Matthew 10, Jesus says, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. That's sort of strange for some of us because it's a declining number. But it just shows that every detail of our life that Jesus is interested in, that he cares about. David wrote in Psalm 56, You number my wanderings and you put my tears into your bottle. I mean, how much do you have to care for someone to count their hairs and count their tears and collect them? That he cares about every single detail of our life. Okay, Mark chapter 4, we're going to see how this plays out in a real life situation. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. That day, when evening had came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Now, now before we go any further, what does that mean? Let us go over to the other side. We're going to the other side. Okay, hold that like in the back of your memory bank. Don't forget about that. Let's go over to the other side. Verse 36, leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. And there were also other boats with him. So just a little bit of point of reference. It's almost as if this is an eyewitness testimony. And it is because Mark is writing what Peter had experienced. Peter's one of the disciples. He's there. He tells Mark these stories. Mark writes them. And one of the things that we know, even if you're in the newspaper industry, that eyewitness detail usually is revolving around irrelevant details. So Mark just writes some things that don't really matter, but it's an eyewitness account. So he's saying, Jesus came just as he was. What does that mean? Well, we think it means Jesus was tired. He was tired, that's why he was getting away. So even though he's God in human form, he's in human form and he gets tired. So he needed to take a nap. Why does it say there are other boats with him? Irrelevant detail, just because they were. Verse 37 A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. So a storm came because on this lake, storms are very prevalent. They would sweep down through the mountains and in no time, because the water was so shallow, waves would build up and fight against the boat. And so this waves, the waves are coming, all this is going on. We know from this story that the disciples are fishermen and these fishermen who have been on the water almost their entire life, they are scared to death. The boat is flooding, and they have like a bucket, and they're like, it's, 
Too much water. It's not getting good. And then verse 38, we see what Jesus is doing. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping. Wow. Jesus is asleep on a cushion. And the disciples woke him and said to him, isn't this an interesting question? Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Don't you care if we drown? Jesus, don't you see what's going on? Don't you see the storm that we're in? Jesus, everything is falling apart. Life is getting ready to be over in just a minute. Don't you care? I mean, you don't have to raise your hand, but have you ever been tempted to say that? Something's going on, a problem's happening. Something has happened to you in your life that you have nothing to do with, no control over, and you just, you want to throw your hands up and say, God, what are you doing? See, that's not like the problem. Some of us have done dumb things in life, and then we have problems, and it's sort of on us, but sometimes things happen we have nothing to do with that don't make any sense, that there's just no justifying or explaining, and we just want to know, God, what are you doing? Don't you care? So all of a sudden, Jesus got up, and he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. Something deeper is going on here that that we wouldn't understand. I wouldn't understand unless I studied a lot for this. In, In that society and in that culture, the sea represented the judgment of God. The sea and its raging often even represented evil and power and strength of the supernatural kind. So that's why you look at early in the book of Exodus when God is delivering his people. There's an army chasing them, remember? But not only is there an army chasing them, there's another obstacle, right? There's the Red Sea, this great sea, and it's another obstacle to God's people. And so God, in one of the greatest miracles of that time, splits the Red Sea in two to say, I have power over the water like that. I am Lord. He delivers his people. And so Jesus, when he says over a storm, quiet. There's this mind of a Jewish person that would race back to the parting of the Red Sea and say, who is this man? And what is he doing? But there's even something bigger and different than that going on. There's language in this story that sounds very similar to the story of Jonah. Remember Jonah? I mean, like we had the flannel graphs when we were in Sunday school of the big fish that came up and swallowed him, that Jonah. Let me just tell you a few similarities in this story between Jesus and Jonah. Both of them find themselves aboard a ship in the midst of a violent storm. Both are fast asleep in the ship while it's being overtaken. Sleepy Jonah and sleepy Jesus. Both are woken up with a question. Both, on both ships, the sailors are scared to death. In both stories, the sailors are actually more terrified after the storm ceases than they were before, which is interesting. Both are able to stop the raging storm. Jonah by being thrown overboard, Jesus with a word. But both can really say to the people on board, if I perish, you survive. If I die, you will live. Both seem to meet their dark fate. Jonah in the belly of a great fish for three days and three nights. Jesus in a tomb for the same amount of time. But after being in that dark place, both show that new life is possible. Jonah 
here, the contrasts are basically this. There are big contrasts. Jonah is on a ship running away from God. Jesus is perfectly obedient to the will of the Father. In his book, The King's Cross, Tim Keller says this. They threw, the sailors threw Jonah into the sea, which doesn't happen in Mark's story. Or does it? I think Mark is showing that the stories aren't that different when you stand back a bit and look at them with the rest of the story of Jesus in view. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus actually says, one greater than Jonah is here. That's Matthew chapter 12. And he's referring to himself. Jesus is saying, I'm the true Jonah. He meant this. Someday I'm going to calm all storms, still always I'm going to destroy destruction, break brokenness, kill death. How can he do that? Keller asks. He can do it only because when he was on the cross, he was thrown willingly like Jonah into the ultimate storm under ultimate waves, the waves of sin and death. Jesus was thrown into the only storm that can actually sink us, the storm of eternal justice of what we owe for our wrongdoing. That storm wasn't calmed until it swept him away. There's something deep and profound that Jesus is doing here. And when he's showing his power over this storm that is facing him in a boat, and when he's on a cross showing his power over the storm of death and hell and sin, we're forced to ask, who is this man? What is going on here? And so verse 40 then, after his disciples are Scared to death, after he stops the raging sea, he looks at his disciples in verse 40 and he says, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Why are you so afraid? Didn't I tell you, let's get in the boat and do what? Go to the other side. He told them that. He didn't say we're going to get in the boat, go into the middle, face a storm, drown, we're all going to die, but come on, it'll be fun. He said, get in the boat. We're going to the other side. So why are you doubting what I said? Why are you so afraid, he asked. And why is it that you still have no faith? These are the disciples that are with him. They see him talk to a paralyzed man and say, you've never walked your whole entire life, but today get up and walk. And he walks right out of there. They've seen these kind of things, yet still in the midst of their own storm, they doubt probably two things. They, They question his ability, but, but maybe more than this, they question his attentiveness. Do you really care about me? Are you really paying attention to these needs in this moment? And this is another way of Jesus' ways of saying, absolutely, I care about it all. Look at the next passage, verse 41. They were terrified, and they asked each other, who is this? There it is. Who is this man? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? It's a rhetorical question demanding the response. He is the Christ. He is the Son of God. Little by little by little, they begin to recognize his authority over everything. If you have a sermon note sheet and you want to fill in a few blanks, there's just three things we want to look at real quick. Number one, In response to who is he? He is the one who cares. He is the one who cares. One scholar said he could sleep through the storms, but not through their cries. Just let me remind some of you of Psalm 139. 
verses 13 through 17 and what it says about how much he cares. For you created my inmost being. This is David, King David writing. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. David is writing and he is saying that God cared for him while he was in his mother's womb. From the moment of conception, he was created in the image of God with dignity. And God knew those things and God knew before David was ever born how all of the days of his life would unfold. He knew every detail and everything that would occur in his life. He knew it all. And how precious were his thoughts. It's talking about the intrinsic dignity of every single human being that there is. Peter is one of the disciples, one of the fishermen on this boat. And maybe he was one of the guys that said, Lord, wake up. Why are you asleep? Don't you care? But then years later, and in the book 1 Peter, we have Peter writing in, verse five, in chapter 5, verse 7, and he says, Cast all of your anxiety on him, on Jesus, because he cares for you. Peter learned the lesson well that Jesus cares about every detail and about everything in our lives. Cast all your anxiety, all your cares on him. In his book, Tim Keller also said this, If the sight of Jesus bowing his head and being swept away into that ultimate storm is burned into the core of your being, you will never say, God, don't you care? And if you know he didn't abandon you in that ultimate storm, what makes you think he would abandon you in the much smaller storms you're experiencing right now? And someday, of course, he will return and steal all storms for all eternity. And he says, if Jesus didn't surrender, if Jesus didn't throw in the towel, if Jesus didn't give up when he was headed to the cross, he was bearing the weight of all of our sins on him. Remember that passage in the scripture where Jesus in agony is crying out. And he cries out, Father, why have you forsaken me? Because he's carrying all the sin of the whole entire world. If he didn't give up on us then, he cared for us even still to the point of death on a cross. Don't you think he cares about us now? And in everything that's going on. And don't you think that means something for us? So he's first of all the one who cares. Secondly, he is the one who can. And you may ask, he can what? Well, fill in the blank. He is the one who can forgive, the one who can restore, the one who can deliver, the one who can meet you in the middle of your struggles, the one who can bring peace into the stress that you have, the one who can give meaning and a new mission to our lives. He's the one who can. Ephesians 3 verse 20 says that now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Whatever is going on, whatever we face, he can. He can give us strength. He can give us endurance. He can give us hope. 
If you're in a marriage and you're just struggling and you don't even, you don't even know if you want to be in that marriage anymore. But you know you should. Jesus can give you the strength to hang on another day, another week, another month. He's the one who can restore. Don't give up. Don't stop. Take another step. Seek Him. If you're in one of those places in life where you just, you just are frustrated and you're tired and you're worried, just hold on a little bit longer. Jesus can help. Whatever's going on, He can. Thirdly, He is the one who commissions. And just as to the disciples in the midst of this crowd, he says, you feed them, you do something. His care and his compassion is supposed to get in us and then come out of us. Supposed to fill us up to overflow that we can love and care like he loves and he cares. I'll just read uh, one or two verses. Luke 6 verse 27. He says, but to you who are listening, I say, and this is that revolutionary teaching of Jesus, love your enemies Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. He says there's a new way that we deal with others, even the people who don't like us, even the people who are against us, but especially the people who have great needs in life, the least of these. He's the one who commissions us to say, if if you really understand this love and compassion that, that Christ has for us, then go love others likewise. Go share this love with others that they can experience the compassion of Christ on display through you, through your life. Many years ago, I'm about 14 years old, my dad buys a boat. And he, um, I sort of talked him into buying this boat, but anyway, uh, I talked him into buying a boat. And, and one day, the very first day we get the boat, we're going out into the, the sound, North Carolina. Um, you have the ocean, then you have the sound where the water's more calm. So we're cruising around the sound and just trying out our new boat. And it's about 17 feet long, so not a very big boat. There's four of us, my sister and I and my parents, cruising around. All of a sudden, we get a call on the radio that says, hey, are you guys out? And my dad's like, yeah, we're out. Do you have a fishing rod? I'm like, no, we don't even have a fishing rod. Okay. It's my dad's friend, Mike, and Mike says, hey, this is, in the ocean, some of the best fishing I've ever seen in my entire life. You've got to get out here. Now, he's in a 28-foot boat, fairly good-sized boat. We're in a 17-foot boat. And he's like, come on out here. And so we're like, I don't know about that. Mom's thinking, this doesn't sound like a good idea. Dad's toying with it. And I'm like, go! Let's go! This sounds amazing! And so, again, I talked my dad into it somehow, my powers of persuasion. So we go riding towards this little entryway from the sound to the ocean. And because it's a smaller channel, the water is sort of compressed and the waves are even bigger. So we pull up to the part of this channel and we just sort of start going. And then we disappear through the next wave and we disappear through the next wave. Parents aren't too excited about this. I'm like, this is awesome. And so um, we, we go and we take one attempt. My dad's like, no, I don't think we should do this. I'm like, come on, let's do it again. So he goes, no, I don't think we should do this. We turn around again. 
So finally he decides, you know, it's just too big, too risky, first day out on a boat, let's not do this. So we call Mike up on the radio, hey, you know what, we're not going to do this, the waves are a little bit too big for our boat. Mike gets back on the um, radio, I'll be there in two minutes. And all of a sudden you see this big boat come crashing through the waves, there's spray everywhere, he comes flying up to us, he goes, follow me. And Mike, got to follow him. And before he could even react, my dad even react, Mike takes off. And so my dad's like, I guess I have to follow him. So we follow him. And here goes Mike in this bigger boat, crashing through the waves. And all you see is spray coming up. And he's going up and down, up and down, up and down. And then here we come following right on his tails. He's going up and down, up and down. And we're just sort of coasting through the water. He's taking the brunt of the waves and we're following right on behind him. And we get out there, and he gives me a fishing pole, and he's like, throw it out there, and this is what you do. And Spanish mackerel are jumping out of the water, and they're this big, and as fast as I could get the lure in the water, I'm reeling them in. And it was the most amazing day ever. But man, when we saw those waves, and when we saw those dangerous, dangerous obstacles in our way, we were tempted to say, let's just play it safe. Let's not go for it anymore. We can't do this. And often I think about how Christ came and he said, I'm going to lead you and if you will follow me, it doesn't mean life will be easy. It doesn't mean everything is going to be just fine. It doesn't mean your path is completely straight and perfect and it's happy, happy, happy all the time. But if you will follow me, I've already taken the brunt of the pain. I've already taken the punishment on me. You can trust me. You can follow me. And you can experience life like you've never imagined. It's not about you trying harder on your own or you doing it. It's about you following close to me. And I just wonder today, have you experienced that kind of grace, that kind of compassion? Are you still trying to fix it yourself? Fix your marriage, fix your life, fix whatever. Are you trying to do it on your own? Or today, would you just finally come to a place that would say, I need you. Help. If you would come to that place, you would be ready to hear Jesus say, I care. And I can. Dear Jesus, we thank you for the truths of Scripture. But sometimes we're tempted to doubt because sometimes there's storms, sometimes there's obstacles, sometimes we lose hope. And we're tempted to doubt. We're tempted to be like the disciples and say, don't you even care? But then we're reminded by the scriptures that you care more than anyone. And you care about the ultimate things and you endured the ultimate storms for us that we could be free, that we could be forgiven, that we could have hope. Oh God, we thank you. We thank you for your compassion. We thank you for your love, for your help. And Lord, I don't want to overpromise something as if life's going to be easy. It's not, it doesn't mean that life's going to be easy, but it means that in every trial and every storm, you are there and you are able to do abundantly above all that we ask or all that we imagine. So God, my prayer is over every man and every woman in this place, over every young person in this place today. God, would you do in their lives what only you can do? And would you, Christ, in our hearts, cause us to care about things that really matter? 
We can care about a whole bunch of things that, that are so insignificant. Help us to care about what really matters. Soften our hearts, we pray. Do a work in us, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.